Pilot Boys in the building. Welcome to the Pilot Boys podcast, where you'll get the real on all things sports, music, and pop culture. I am Don here with my co-host, D. Eating some cheap chicken wings right now. <laughs> you got to do what you can. Today is April 16th, 2020. Thank you guys for tuning in. I know you could be anywhere in the world, but you're here with us. We are still quarantined and social distancing due to this coronavirus pandemic, but we're still going to figure out a way to bring you content at all costs. We have a big show today, V. Excited for this one. Yeah. On today's show, we will talk to Chris Holtman, the head men's basketball coach at the Ohio State University, about recruiting, handling the pandemic, eligibility, and much more. We will also do some news and notes of popular sports, music, and pop culture stories from around the country, from Drake, Sports in China, Stefan Marbury, Kyle Larson, Toilet Paper, and more. It's going to be an action-packed show. Oh, yeah. Action-packed. And shout-out to our Patreon subscribers. Remember now that our $5 and up Patreon subscribers will get our episodes on Wednesdays, a night early. These donations help keep our show going. If you want to help keep us on air, you can donate at www.patreon.com forward slash Pilot Boys Podcast. And don't forget, grab some Pilot Boys wristbands at shop.pilotboys.com. Let's go. Where the Pilot Boys at? You're listening to the Pilot Boys Podcast. Our next guest is the head coach of the men's basketball team at the Ohio State University. Please welcome to the show, Coach Chris Holtman. Great to be with you here. Uh, I really appreciate you having me on. Obviously, we got uh, we got a lot of time right now to do stuff like this, so it's it's uh, it's great being with you guys. Glad glad to do it. Absolutely. So yeah, we're gonna jump right into it. Um, you know, we have a lot of stuff that we you know we wanted to talk to you about kind of for a while. Obviously, as we followed your career, um, followed you through Ohio State, and then obviously now through this pandemic. So we're gonna jump right in. V, kick sure. us off. Yeah, let's let's start by just talking about your coaching journey. On this show, we we like to talk to people like you about your why um, a little bit. And if you could just start by telling us what got you into coaching, why you decided on it as your career, and um, you have a vast range of experience from small school to kind of what they label mid major to now a big big conference program. Just if you could just take us through your your journey and your and your why. You know, I, I think all of us typically go into a field where we were maybe influenced the most uh, by by someone that we saw or it's a teacher that we saw that we were inspired by or a coach or a dad who or a mom who inspired us to to, to follow in their chosen field. I, I think so many of us are naturally uh you know, we're, what inspires us draws us in. And I think uh, ultimately I was inspired by my, the coaches in my life and, and my, um, my college coach. And I followed him. And I, I think in a lot of ways, my, my dad would have probably been a college coach or would have been a high school coach. But, you know, he grew up in a time where uh, his dad passed early. He had to take care of his family. He couldn't go to college. So he had to find a way to uh, work a few jobs and make ends meet. And 
Um, and that's how he, you know, lived his life providing for us. Uh, but I do think he kind of all, all along would have loved to have been a coach. So I think it was a little bit of my DNA. And at the end of the day, I saw my college coach impact lives and change lives. Uh, he was incredibly demanding, uh, but uh, he had a, he had a profound impact on me. And I jumped into it after a couple years of college or a post-college stuff where, you know, like all of us, you're kind of wandering a little bit. Yeah. Um, I found, found out that uh, I wanted to, wanted to go be a GA, went back to my alma mater, was a GA. And from that point on, I was, I got the bug for sure. That's, 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 that's great. And so you have a kind of like a really like, blue collar Midwest type of story and in, in looking at your coaching trajectory. Um, can you kind of tell us about like the different experiences from the difference between being at like a, a smaller program? I think you started at Taylor university. I think that was your first yep, job. I did. And then you went on to Gardner Webb and then on to, to Butler, just the difference in, in those experiences and how each of those kind of, played a role in, in getting to you, getting you where you are at now? Well, you said it. I, I started um, at, at a very, at the small college level. I, I started at uh, Taylor University, then went to a, another NAI school, Geneva College, and then back to Taylor University. And those are small NAI schools where you got to work three or four different jobs. I was going to grad school at night because uh, I thought I was going to be a small college coach where you needed your master's. And then the more I got into it, I said, you know what, I'd like to be able to recruit and coach um, at the Division One level. And how was I going to get in that to that? I don't know. I was going to need a break somewhere. So I knew someone who knew somebody at Gardner-Webb, and he put in a call. And um, I, my wife and I I went from Taylor University, where at that time we were making a salary, I think collectively of around uh, sixty thousand, and I took a job at uh, uh, Geneva College for for twenty six thousand, and we just hoped that my my wife would figure out a way to to, to get a job. Moved into a one bedroom house, didn't have kids, and um, uh, worked that job for um, basically five years, and uh, and then took an assistant job at Ohio University um, where I worked for two years for John Gross, who's now the head coach at Akron, who was the head coach at Illinois, tremendous coach. And, and then uh, went back a couple years later when they were looking for a head coach at Gardner Webb and kind of talked my wife into it. She was pregnant. She did not want to leave Athens, Ohio. She had great support group there. She wasn't inclined to go back to a smaller um, uh, school, even where she um, she just had, had made made peace with being at, at Ohio. And I wanted to be head coach, so I kind of won that won that argument. Um, you got one, one for one for the men. Thank God. That's right. That's right. That's right. I'm one for forty nine. I think the last. <laughs> so um, so I I won that one and. And then just took a really different path. So I was at Gardner Webb. We we um, it was a massive rebuild, and in year three we uh, won the most that had ever been won at the Division One level. There had a great year, uh, finished second overall in the in the league, and I was fortunate enough to be coach of the year. Just 
got a new contract, a lot of momentum, but um, an opportunity to, to go and kind of be the one of the, uh, I guess, the lead assistant at Butler University came around and uh, it pulled me away. It was a very difficult decision. I actually remember calling Thad, Thad Mata and saying, hey, Thad, what do you think about doing this? And he was like, I don't think it's, I'm not sure it's a good idea. And he, he along with others, kind of advised me against it. And a couple others said, hey, go make the jump. Yeah. And uh, especially because you were going from a, from a head coach job back to an assistant coach. That's kind of not, not typical, right? Yeah, it's very atypical. Um, and the biggest thing for me was at the time Butler was moving and I, I was friends with Brad Stevens and friends with the coach that had gotten the job, Brandon Miller. But the biggest thing for me was they were moving into a power league and that is the big East. Mm-hmm. Many people would think of power five in football. It's about power six or seven in college basketball. Right. Um, with, so, so the big East is very much a part of that group. So that that was my biggest reason in going there. And I just thought it was, it would be an opportunity for me to go there and then maybe get a job in the Mac if we wanted Butler at a high level. I had no idea the dramatic change that would happen in the next few years in in my life, in my friend's life, and ultimately in my career. Yeah, and I have a question. Go ahead. A question too. I wanted to follow up on something that he said, uh, Coach. When you talked about kind of your coaching trajectory, it just made me think of this question. You know, for someone who who wants to get into coaching, right? A young, a young guy or a girl who's, you know, looking at yeah. this as a potential career, you know, what advice would, would you give them? Cause your story sounds very similar to every other success story that I've heard, which is you started off doing grinding, right? Doing the stuff that a lot yeah. of people won't do. And, you know, it, it's through that process that you were able to emerge and get what you ultimately, you know, get to the ultimate big goal. You got it, Mecca. I think, I think that is the reality is you have to own, where you're at, your, your your feet have to be firmly planted. And while you might have dreams and ambitions about what you want uh, to be down the road, um, the reality is those dreams and ambitions, don't they're not honored if you're not firmly planted, if your feet aren't firmly planted in performing at a high level where you are. And there's nothing wrong with dreams and ambitions, and that's part of who we are. Um, and, and I took a major risk. Uh, you take risk in your career, you kind of bet on yourself. Um, but the reality is, is, uh, uh, I went, when, when I was given the interim head coaching job at Butler, um, I would not have been able to perform that at the level that, that I needed to, if I had to skip steps mm. in, in my career. And I just don't think you can skip steps and be successful uh, in this business at all. Um, the moments where you're, uh, you know, making 6000 as a graduate assistant starting up and you're in that position, you thought it was going to be one year and it ends up being three or four, but mm-hmm. you grind it out like those really provide great benefit for you um, as you as you progress in your career. Absolutely. Definitely. And, and wanted to spend a a little bit of time on Butler, right? Because it is a, a fairly unique position and, 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 and job because it seems to be a springboard for so many great coaches. If you could just tell us a little bit about what makes that place, made that place so special and why it, it, it 
it produces so much and a little bit about what the Butler way is because they aren't your big powerhouse school like um, in Ohio State right. or Duke, but they are have built a culture there that has been consistent and has, la- has, has, has done well through the test of time. Well, it's a great question, and there are some things that I think make it make it unique. Um, it is it is, the 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 way the university is set up is it um, uh, one a great great emphasis on basketball for sure, um, but I think in general it attracts a student and a student athlete um, who are coming to that place with the idea that they are going to for, for certainly for basketball that they're going to uh, play for championships, uh, obviously. You know, we had a young man there that's in the NBA right now, actually, with the Timberwolves. Um, uh, plenty of guys go there with aspirations of the NBA. But there is this this common thread. Um, and it's it's really it's said really well uh, by the definition of the Butler way. There's this common thread that you're coming to play uh, and be a part of, of competing together for championships. And uh Barry Collier, who is longtime athletic director there, has done an incredible job putting a, a, a culture in place um, where they're very specific in the kind of people that they that they uh, recruit. And they've had incredible guys through a number of years there, uh, like Ron Norad, who was a multi-final four team. They just had, they've had incredible leaders and incredible people that have been attracted to that place. Um, and I think for me, it was quite honestly, it was, uh, you know, I told people when I got the job, it was kind of my Camelot. Like I thought it was going to be it, for me. I thought it was going to be my last job. And, and, uh, uh that was, that was where, w- what I was going to do. And I was given the job under really unique circumstances because, you know, if you've ever had a boss or worked in a situation and he, he has losing or failing health and you have to step in, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a difficult transition. Mm-hmm. And, um, that's what happened. And fortunately, uh, I had a tremendous group of fellow assistants where we rallied around each other. And I think what really changed the game for us is we went into a year where I was the interim and had gotten the job in October and we were picked to finish, I believe, eighth or ninth in the 10-team Big East, and we ended up finishing second in the league. Wow. And uh, from that point on, it was it was a, a good next few years. Seems like winning follows you everywhere you go. <laughs> well, I, I tell you, I, I've been fortunate to uh, appreciate you saying that in, in, uh, it, for every, in every month, except for January, I think winning follows. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, but I told somebody the other day, uh, my wife doesn't even like me in January. So, um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's, we've had, we've had, uh, we had a good run there and have had a, have a, had a good start here as well. Well, you mentioned earlier also in the conversation, you mentioned that Mata and a couple, a uh, couple episodes ago, we actually had Jeff Bowles on as a guest who okay. also, you know, spoke a lot about Thad. And it just seems like, you know, Thad just had so much influence, um, whether, you know, directly working with him or just kind of knowing him. It has so much influence in the basketball world, more than we even as Ohio State fans even knew about. Uh, if you could just spend a little bit of time just talking to us kind of about your relationship with Thad and maybe even how he may have helped 
um, your transition into Ohio State? Well, that, that is uh, great. And I think when people reflect back, and they have now, I think they've been able to look at uh, his tenure here. And when you put it in the context of the previous 40, 50 years, it's, it's pretty incredible. I, mm. I told people before Thad got here, I don't believe uh, we had went to three straight NCAA tournaments. He went to seven straight. Not only did he go to seven straight, but he was winning games and advancing. It was yeah. it was the greatest run in the history of of uh, Ohio State basketball. Hundred percent and dominating um, the conference as well. Yes, yes, and dominated that that had not been done at all. Really, obviously the '60s were impressive, but in the modern era era, the last. 30, 40, 50 years, it had not been done. Mm-hmm. So I think it's incumbent upon me to, to, you know, as coming in to recognize that for what that is. Granted, there were some difficult years at the end there, and there was certainly um, uh, some concerns about overall, you know, where it was, where it was headed. And, and I think more than anything, just bad generally, um, I had some health issues and I think probably, uh, you know, there was, a, there, I think people were kind of wondering, Hey, um, is, is this time in terms of his mind too, just to right. do something different. So I get that towards the end, but no one can, his impact was significant. Uh, and it, go, you know, it was, it was the greatest run in the history of, of, of Ohio state basketball. I think again, outside of that 60, 10 years. So I think, you know, I don't know Thad great. He was great with the transition here. Um, I, I say that Thad and I are friends, but it's not like we talk every week or anything. Right. But I uh, have great respect for him and Barb and their family. And, um, you know, I think that, uh, um, you know, he's he's in a pretty good place right now. I think he's enjoying kind of the 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 time away from coaching and spending time with his family. And, and he's earned that. Right. And you also mentioned earlier in the, in the conversation, too, um, about when you were at Butler, you kind of at, at least at a certain point thought, you know, this is it. This is this is the job yeah. I'm going to have. And then now, obviously, you're at Ohio State. So talk to us a little bit about that. What made Ohio State job so attractive um, and made you kind of, I don't know, break out of that feeling of like, oh, I'm going to be a Butler indefinitely. Yeah. Well, I had um, I had been approached about other jobs um really in my, not after my first year, but after my second year, uh, I was offered a couple of jobs. And then after my third year, when we went to the sweet 16 is when, um, I had three or four, um, that I would consider good, uh, power five, high major basketball jobs. Um, uh, and one in particular, I kind of had a, a thought about a good job in the ACC, but I just um, I was just committed to staying at 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 Butler for a variety of reasons, um, and then you know when I had never really in my mind thought of of this job, um, uh, you know I had heard a little bit that who knows how long how much longer Thad's going to do it and some of those kind of thoughts, but uh, but nothing I didn't even ever speculate. Um, so when, when Gene called, I was, I was actually, it was a search firm who called first and said, if I'd have interest, I said, yeah, I, you know, I, I'd be more than open to talking about it, but I didn't really, I just didn't, I wasn't at that point, I was still pretty committed to staying at Butler. 
And, uh, you know, Gene and I had a great first conversation, but I just wasn't, I was concerned about meeting with him, you know, and because I had a team to coach. And uh, I think he took that probably as me saying I'm interested. And, and, I, and I, it, I just wasn't sure. Right. Uh, but but to Gene's credit, he was very persistent. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we know. Gene. You know. Yeah. <laughs> He's gonna get it yeah. done. <laughs> yeah, he was he was very persistent, very honest, very kind of cut and dry. Hey, this is where we're at, and uh, you know, I I I I hope people feel good about that, and I hope people feel good about our our tenure here to start because you know we we've really enjoyed it. My family's really enjoyed Columbus. We've loved Ohio State. It's been it's been a great move for us. Uh, yeah. There's no question. Well, I think culturally, you guys, you guys fit in amazingly. I mean, obviously, you know, you, you fit in seamlessly, even just, you know, I don't know, your kind of relationship with the football program and, you know, supporting all the other sports and all that other stuff. And a lot of the charity efforts that you guys are doing even now, um, you know, kind of fits in seamlessly with kind of the culture of Ohio State. One question I did have, though, also about Ohio State, uh, and we talked a little bit with Coach Bowles about this, too, is kind of the you know it's known as a quote-unquote football school right and I think um you know even though obviously Ohio State has a very rich basketball tradition it is sometimes in a lot of ways overshadowed by football what challenges you know have you seen at least you know so far in your tenure that that's created or has there been a way to even kind of use that to your advantage yeah I I think it's I've really always looked at it as as a benefit and not as a negative I do think that that you it's a question you have to answer at times. Hey, mm-hmm. um, are you guys just a football school? What is the energy and excitement, enthusiasm around the other sports and around basketball coach? You know, you get some of that in recruiting and you yeah. certainly get fan bases from other, uh, when you're recruiting kids, you get a ton of other fans who will go at kids who are recruiting. Hey, it's just a football school. Right. You know, mm-hmm. it's just a football school. And, you know, you get that quote unquote negative uh, and, and probably we, you know, that comes up in, in some recruitments. But I do think, listen, we had four out of our last five games were sellouts in a 19,000 seat arena. Um, yeah. There is an energy around our program. Now, admittedly, in a place as big as the shot, it takes a little time uh, when when football's in season. Yeah. Uh, for for fans to come around um, in a place that that is that, that is as large and as hard to fill as the shot, um, we understand that. But you know, we had a great crowd at Cincinnati. We had a great crowd at, for Villanova. But there, there there's certainly divided, and rightfully so, um, in in November and December. And we've kind of embraced that. I love our football program. I've loved getting to spend time with the football coaches. In supporting them, I've loved uh, connecting with a lot of these, a lot of the different programs around here. And to be honest with you guys, it's not like I'm clamoring for for more attention either. I'm <laughs> fine where we're at. I'm fine, right. you know, in the, in the position we're we're in. Uh, I think we can compete at the highest level, um, and I'm I'm we're we're trying to build towards that. We've done some really good things in our first three years, but I don't look at it as a detriment at all. Right. And V has some questions on, on recruiting and, and kind of this, uh, you know, the pandemic, but before he gets there, I, I have one other question I wanted to ask on sure. the season, basically about the season this year. It's, it, I mean, before it obviously got cut short, how would you right. kind of 
evaluate the season, right? Because there's so many ups and then seeing downs and then ups again. And how would yeah. you as a coach, like it's different from a fan's perspective, but as a coach, how did you evaluate the season? Well, when you look at the season in its entirety, guys, um, uh, so we had the, we were obviously finished top 20 in the country in the AP and the coaches poll. Uh, I think that's two out of three years. We, we had the highest what's called Ken Palm racking, which is an evaluation tool where it evaluates your team. And it's a little bit predictive in nature. We were eighth in the country in that. We were one of six teams to finish top 20 uh, in the country in uh, offensive and defensive efficiency. Um, we had five wins, I believe, over top 10 uh, teams in the country. So um, we did not. We finished tied for fifth in the Big Ten. I would have loved to have finished uh, higher than that, uh, certainly. But all in all, I felt like it was it was a good year, a really good year in a lot of ways. And I think it had the potential, guys, for us to be looking back and saying, okay, this is a team that took the next step, whether that's getting to the Sweet 16 or whatever the case. Like, we took the next step. Mm-hmm. I think it had the real potential for that based on our numbers. You know, overall, I'd look back and I'd say it's just incomplete. But, um, you know, we had, I think, the third best re- overall record in the Big Ten. Um, right. We had a lot of great moments. I'd love to forget January, but I think January helped us in February and March. And you have to embrace those areas where, you know, when you struggle. So feel very good about the third season. I feel really do. And I feel very good about us moving forward as well. Um, we're just going to be different without, without the big fella and his brother for sure. Just how competitive is the Big Ten Conference? Because it seemed like you guys early in the season, the non-conference part dominated, but the struggles yeah. really started once you guys got into conference play. And even within, if you looked at the conference, no one was really able to dominate. It just yeah. seemed like it was a bunch of really, really good teams throughout the conference. Well, that was the case, V. I think that was the case, and you guys saw it. And I think, you know, we got killed uh I think our, our fans were jumping off the bandwagon in January. And I wanted to say, hey, listen, have some perspective here. Look, look at look, Michigan State was picked number one in the country. And and mm-hmm. like in the preseason, we were picked, I think, 18th or 19th. And the reality is, is when you're it's it was the best, deepest league in the country. And when you have a coach as good and as accomplished as Tom Izzo say to you in a handshake before the game, this is the best and deepest I've ever seen the Big Ten. Wow. Then it's like, okay, you you get it. You get mm-hmm. the fact that that I mean, Izzo said that to me. Turgeon said that to me. Guys that a bit Painter said that. So when those guys are saying that, veteran guys who've been in the league for a while, um, it wasn't us us guys that are in our third year. It was certainly the best I've ever seen it. But so what I think what that meant for us is we could have. Uh, very easily had a number of teams got that would have got to the second weekend uh, of the NCAA tournament. The but but um, I get it. I would have loved to have been able to, you know, not go through some of those issues. But I do think it prepared all of us who went. I mean, every team in the Big Ten had a week and a week and a half in the season where they lost two out of three, three out of four, four out of six. Everybody did. Yeah, uh, I think it would have would have really helped all of us move into the tournament. I think so as well. It was, it was amazing to watch the games as fans. We were talking about that a lot throughout the season, just how 
competitive everything was. Um, but yeah, what, and you have to have some perspective. I think that's the hard thing is your fans want to win every game, right? And they they think you're supposed to win every game, and especially when you start out like we did, where you're you're beating top ten teams in the country. I think it's that it it it, it raises that level of what can we be. But teams, you know, take different shapes throughout the season, and I, I just. I give our guys a lot of credit for responding like we did in those last 12 games. Wanted to switch gears to, to recruiting, obviously recruiting in, in basketball, especially big time basketball is what I think is one of the more, more challenging things to do, right? Because there are so many different, different, different things that are, are, are involved in that process, right? From potentially having to recruit one and done players to um, now the new transfer rules, if you could start by just telling us, like, what is, do you have, like, a philosophy when it comes to recruiting? From from our vantage point, it looks like you have a very methodical approach to the type of players you recruit and how you envision this this team um, looking under under your watch. If you could just kind of tell us a little bit about your approach first. Well, I, I think, um, listen, I think the reality is, is – our game is evolving and changing, um, and it has been for the last five to ten years. And you guys probably know that because you follow the game. But but your, your common fan who might watch football, uh, college football, college basketball, you know, it's hard it, unless you're kind of really an insider in college basketball. You don't understand that the the transfer rate is thirty to thirty five percent. Uh, for Division One players. Um, wow! Wow! That's high. So, uh, so I I don't think like it's hard for people. I think it was thirty maybe as of last year. Maybe in college football, I think is like fourteen percent, fourteen or fifteen percent. So you don't like it's just it's a different it's a different game. For example, when you look at the Final Four teams from two thousand seven, two thousand eight, two thousand nine, two thousand ten. Look at all the Final Four teams in those four years. There was one starter that was a four-year transfer, and that was Ron Lewis, who played for Ohio State. Well, then you fast-forward that to the previous four years. Previous four years, there were 13 players on the Final Four teams that started that were four-year transfers. Wow. So it's just – it has changed. I do think the bulk of our roster will always be high school kids that will grow and develop. Uh, but there'll be a blend of transfers as well. Um, and that's, that's, I think going to be the, the way probably a lot of places are going to, are, are going to do it. Uh, not just us. I think it'll be, but we'll always have a blend of, of uh, the bulk of our roster will be high school kids along with some transfers. What are, what are your, your, thoughts on recruiting the recruitment of one and done players and the impact that they can have on a program, right? They can, they have a huge impact, yeah. but it's always short lived and like the pros and cons yeah. of, of that. Yeah. It's, it's uh you got to have a contingency plan. I think if you know, you're going to recruit a one and done, I'm not opposed to it at all. There's some great examples of one and done players that have been really, really successful. Um, and I think sometimes guys come in and, think they're going to be one and done and realize it's probably going to be a little bit longer than that. And obviously you even benefit uh, even greater in that situation. 
but um, I'm not opposed to it at all. I think it just has to be the right the right fit for us, and you have to have some degree of understanding that it's going to be a pretty short term situation uh, in those cases. Right. I have a question too about um, kind of recruiting and, and it, not just recruiting, but just back kind of the state of youth basketball uh, as a yeah. whole. AAU. We've talked to other coaches and, and athletic directors and and different people in basketball about AAU basketball and what that's done as, as that's grown, what that's done to the game. What are your kind of thoughts on, on youth basketball and, and AAU basketball and how that's kind of had an impact on the overall state of the game? I think, I think just generally it's, it's a, there are a tremendous amount of really good AAU programs and really good AAU coaches. I think sometimes AAU in general gets kind of a bad rap. Um, but I think there are there are a lot of great programs and great great coaches and that that are really in it to help kids help kids get scholarships help them with their futures help them prepare for what's next um, and honestly those are the kind of programs we try to be heavily involved with as much as possible um, that's that's what we're trying to do I think I think um, you know I think there are a lot of people that now you certainly have some exceptions where kids and and or, or coaches whether it's all coaches are out more for themselves than for the kids. But we found a lot of programs that really um, try to do their very best to help kids um, uh, in terms of their future. Uh, and those are the ones we, we try to recruit from. The relationship with Ohio State and the world's greatest basketball player, LeBron James, he obviously is a sponsor for, for the athletics program. Guys wear shoes. He has a locker in the facility, how does that kind of benefit the overall brand of Ohio State in basketball? And also, um, are you guys planning on recruiting his son? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, uh, uh, I'm not trying to bail here, but we actually can't talk specifically about recruits. Okay. Uh, But but, uh, what I will tell you is – I, I just think when you when you think about LeBron's impact on our game and when you think about his influence on this state and how he's used his influence, um, it's amazing. And it's an incredible credit to who he is. So to be associated with him in any way is is an incredible thing for for our school and our program. He just is. I think he's the very best of our game. I think he's a tremendous leader. He's a tremendous teammate. I think he's about all the right stuff. I think he uses his influence off the floor uh, to impact people in a really positive way. I just, I'm amazed at how he's used his platform. Um, and uh, we, 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 we love our association uh, with him. Um, and I, you know, for, 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 you know, for a guy who grew up idolizing Michael Jordan, you know, it's uh, I don't I, I can honestly say I don't I don't know that I've ever seen a more dominant player in terms of both ends than than LeBron. Um, so, um, you know, we've we've uh, we, we love that relationship. Yeah. And you spoke about platform and, you know, using your platform. And one of the things that, you know, you, you've seen over the last couple months uh, or at least since we've been on quarantine is a lot of coaches and a lot of celebrities as well using their platform to kind of either raise money or donate money, which I know you and your wife have done. That's exceptional. 
um, and also kind of give awareness on social distancing and, you know, the coronavirus and so on and so forth. And I imagine for a coach that, that this is, you know, created an even more unique time than normal, right? You're always kind of coaching your, your players through adversity, but this creates kind of a different scenario. And so I kind of wanted to get your thoughts a little bit on how you've been handling the, the pandemic as it comes to your current players and recruiting. And, you know, what, what are some of the things you're telling your players as they're trying to figure out their way through this real big phase that's not just about basketball being stopped, but also about life? Well, it's a, it's a great question, and I think, one, you're trying to make sure your guys are safe and healthy and have an appropriate level of respect for what this is. Mm-hmm. And granted, they're, they're, the, the, the numbers, as, as we know, right, would suggest that they're, they're at a very low risk. Um, that, that the numbers would all suggest that having said that their, their families are at risk, their parents are at risk, their grandparents are at risk. Um, and, uh, their, their safety is paramount for us. So we've, we've had that conversation with them. And then to be honest with you guys, it's been like a lot of, you know, zoom calls, uh, check-ins, phone calls, FaceTime calls, as much as we can do over the phone without you know, it being too cumbersome for our guys, we're like, you know, dang coach, like, right. give me some, you know, like, give me some breathing room. Social here. distance. Like, you don't want, I, yeah, <laughs> social, like social distance, coach, get away right. from me. Like, you, we want to be like, give them some, they are back home, but, but I think they're all, they are also at the point now where they're like, coach, when, when when's the gym working out? Like, come on, right. like, when's, when, when, when's the gym opening up here? Like, when we get. I can't wait. Can we get back to doing stuff, coach? Uh, that's yeah. where a lot of them are at right now. Yeah. And as far as like your life, kind of your life lesson that you've been talking to them about, cause I'm sure this has been that. What have you kind of told them kind of how, how have you used this kind of situation to talk to them about life? I think, you know, we appreciate things uh, so much more when, when they're gone. And that's mm-hmm. unfortunate for all of us. Um, I think we, at times, even in the midst of our greatest frustrations, um, we don't value uh, and we we are not as grateful as we should be. And the reality is they are healthy. Um, They play at an unbelievable university, compete at a great place and compete at the highest level of college basketball. And that was taken away from them. So I think there is an appreciation for on their part for what's um, you know, what was taken away from them. I know that's the case for me. I appreciate my job more now than ever. Um, and I think the uncertainty of none of us saw this coming, uh, outside of, I guess, a few, maybe Bill Gates and a few others, none of us saw any of this coming. <laughs> um, so I think the unpredictability of life and the opportunity to, you know, take a step back and appreciate what they, what's most important to all of us. And that is our family and and finding ways where we can help others. Absolutely, absolutely. And before we're going to transition real quick to something a little more fun and light, a little more lighthearted. But before we do that, I do want to give you a chance to say something because you know Buckeye fans right now, and you mentioned this a little bit early. We can be crazy, and, and football it's even worse. You can go thirteen <laughs> and one, and people think you had a, you know the worst season ever, right? So, but yeah. in basketball, yeah. basketball fans are are also really energized. And they're really into this program. And, you know, I'm on social media a lot. And sometimes social media yeah. isn't an accurate reflection of what everybody thinks. 
But you see that there are people who are a little bit antsy. They're nervous about transfers. They're nervous about guys leaving early. They're nervous about yeah. the ups and downs of the season, so on and so forth. What would you be kind of your message to Buckeye Nation basketball fans who are kind of looking forward to the, the next season in the future? I've never been I've never been more excited about um, a group in an off season if we have it uh, together than I am than I am this this group. Mm. Um, I really, I've, I've never been more excited. I, I'm, I'm as, I, I'm as excited as I've ever been guys. I really am. And I just think we have a combination of guys that, uh, I'm really excited about. Uh, we've got some things we've got to figure out with losing Caleb's size and Andre's versatility. And we, listen, we've got some things we've got to figure out, but I, I, I just, I, I've, I'm as excited as I've ever been. And, um, uh, I think, uh, we've we've got two freshmen that I'm really looking forward to bringing. We obviously have some young men uh, coming in as well that have played college basketball. But this core group that we have of um, you know seven guys returning, six of them have played significant minutes in the Big Ten, um, and they've been on winning teams. That's a thing we've we've done here that I think sometimes when you guys you know this. Some, you know, what do, what, what did I hear? Uh, every time I've taken over a job, what have people told me? You know, you know other coaches, that is, they told me, hey, you know, you'll do yourself a big favor if you lose in year one and two at a pretty high level. Mm-hmm. And it, when I first heard that, I was like, really? Well, how am I doing myself a favor? Because that way people, <clears throat> you know, pe- people don't take for granted how hard winning is. Right. And I, I think the reality is, is, you know, we did not follow that advice in, right. in our first couple right. years here. <laughs> right. right. And, uh, you know, statistically we had, uh, you know, if you look at the numbers, our best year here in year three, um, certainly, uh, obviously people identify with, with a couple guys that have decided to move on. And we understand that, but, I'm as excited as I've I've been, um, and excited about this young group. We got a lot of work ahead of us if we're going to build a sustained uh, team, and we're not there yet. I will tell you that we're not there yet. Uh, but I really, I'm very excited about where where we're headed, and I'm ex- really excited about this group we have. I've never I've never felt better. I just think you know we got to keep working and 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 uh, keep grinding away in terms of player development and recruiting right. as fans no, awesome. as fans we can we can tell you we we're very excited and pleased with the job you've done yeah. uh taking over for for thad was no easy feat but you've you've handled the transition well and brought success back to the ohio state program which which we're very grateful for well and i appreciate that too guys and i appreciate you saying that v i think i think what i Listen, the reality is, is social media is an echo chamber. So when things are, you know, when you have a big win, um, it's great because everybody's kind of echoing the same things, right? Everybody's echoing the same things. You know, you go back to January uh, when we lost a few, everybody, you know, everybody's, it's kind of group thinking a lot of ways. Everybody's echoing the same things, yep. right? You know, we, we right. suck our program, you know, our coach sucks, our players, this and that, and we're not going to win anymore. And then, you know, uh, and, and then, you know, I think 
But what I've come back to, because the rea- the reality is, is, is social media can be even to your most hardened coach. It can be, it can be extremely, and your most hardened player, it can be extremely hurtful. It just can. Mm-hmm. That's the reality yes. of it. Yes, definitely. Um, that is, that is, that is, you know, me being as vulnerable as I can be, it can be, but what I recognize is, is the, the, the bulk of our fans, I think, appreciate uh, good basketball, quality play. Mm-hmm. Uh, they appreciate uh, what we're doing and what we have done. And uh, you're never going to make everybody happy. And that's the reality of it. And it um, seems like you also, I think I remember you saying too, that you like took notes on who was saying the negative stuff or something of that. Oh, effect. I did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, oh, fuel. I did. it's fuel. I understand it completely. Yeah. In, in, and you can't do it in the, in, in the necessarily in the moment, but I kind of sensed at one point we were going to, you know, I said, we're going to, we're going to come out of this thing in January. So I said, you know, let me reflect back on what people were saying about me, you know, two weeks ago. You had everybody. We're not going to make the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we got no we got no chance and the program is doomed. And, and you know, when when we finished nine out of 12, I, could, I don't know where all those guys went. Like, <laughs> they, they, like I don't know where yeah. they all went. You know, for yeah. some reason, they just got real. They got real silent. But they go missing, man, just like Golden State fans this year. No, just <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the, the thing I do appreciate about this place is when, like, the number of people that come up to me and say, Coach, we're super excited about next year. And, um, you know, I just think they're uh, – People believe in what we're doing and there's a trust. And again, you're never going to make everybody happy. And uh, I think you realize in social, on social media that hurt people hurt people. Mm-hmm. And uh, there is a reality that uh, that's, that's part of the age we live in now. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's kind of this, it's kind of comes with the territory, right? As someone who is yes. in the pub- a public figure or in the public eye, it's just one of those things that is now part of your analysis on, on you yes. know, what life is going to be like, you know, and we've, we've dealt with that as well. Before we get you out of here, though, I mean, first of all, this has been phenomenal. We could probably talk to you for hours and hours, but you know you have, you know, um, you know, you don't have all day. But we have two questions that we want to ask you that are kind of more fun, a little bit off the, off the t- topic, um, but, you know, give us a chance to get to know you. So the first question is your top five musicians of all time. So people, you know, people that influence you, um, it could be music that you listen to now or when you're a kid, but just personal top five musician list. Yeah. Oh my gosh. This is, this is great. So I'm not, uh, as, as probably I'm not great, uh, at, uh, you know, I didn't grow up being a musician or playing an instrument or, but it did have an influence on, on my life in, in certain ways. There were bands that I followed or people that I, so I will go down kind of a progression through my, uh, growing up years. So yeah, that works. I, I I grew up, um, I grew up on, on, uh, gospel, gospel music in my house a lot. So Shirley Caesar, mm-hmm. um, was a big, I don't know if people know who she is, but she was a big part of me kind of growing up and, uh, listening to just gospel music. Um, uh, as I, my, the, my first, this is going to probably sound crazy to people, but Lionel Richie was one of the guys that I first started to listen to, um, you know, once I kind of listened to like what was secular music at the time, you know, right. uh, Lionel Richie was the guy that I would, I would follow and listen to a little bit, loved the BGs, 
Mm-hmm. Loved the BGs. So right. that, that was, there's three of them right there. Yep. Um, and then as I got into my teen years, uh, U2 was my favorite band. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Um, band. And yeah, it was my favorite band. They were my favorite band. And they're the only, actually, the only concert that I've been to. Wow. Um, wow. My wife and I flew to Dallas uh, in uh, Cowboy Stadium a couple years ago and saw them. Um, and it was a great experience. So yeah. they, they would be, you know, probably the most, the band that's had the most profound impact on me. Those right. other three were kind of instrumental, um, in my life right now. Um, and then if I were to give you a, a fifth one, I would probably say maybe Mumford and Sons. Mm. Okay. Yeah. I like that list. And first of all, you two is, I mean, they're amazing. And, and, and the fact that they're still performing. You know, it's just unbelievable. And then again, like you said, the meaning, you know, they have a lot of meaningful songs, right? They weren't just you know, making music, you know, so they made timeless, timeless classics. They did. Yeah, they did. And they, they were about more than just, you know, uh, I don't know if I sat here and said, you know, poison, right? They were, poison's pretty much about partying. And that's what all, that's what some of my guys growing up listened to, you know, like I never got into the, like, for you too, there was a substance behind what they were, what they were singing. Um, but, but I also, you know, when when you're a young kid too, like, you know, I listened to Tupac and that Mm -hmm. was kind of a guy that I listened to some growing up. So it was really a pretty eclectic mix. Um, as I've gotten older, I probably got more, uh, way more into country music than I ever, you know, than than, uh, more than I'd actually probably want to say publicly, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's just the reality Do you have a favorite country singer oh um i don't know if i have a i don't know if i have i just have a couple that that i don't know if i really i don't think i do i just enjoy generally if there's a radio station i'm gonna go to now yeah it would probably lean more towards that yes easy listening they got good messages in their yep. music and the yep. second the second list is is definitely more in your wheelhouse uh, your top five athletes um, that have had the most influence Who? on you. Top five athletes. Of all time. Of all time. To give that some thought here. I, I will go with, um, I'm not saying he's the greatest player of all time, but I will say MJ. Um, mm-hmm. MJ, just because as I was, as I was, I would go in this order right now. MJ, Larry Bird, um, uh, Magic Johnson, those three for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so we know what era you grew up in. <laughs> the, Holy, the Holy Trinity oh, yeah, right, right there. Right. Oh, I know. I know. I know. Um, that, that Those three for sure. Um, I, I would – you know, it's hard that LeBron in the modern era, era just because he's been so fascinating. Uh, from so there's four there's four basketball players there. I probably got to give one other guy, and then um, you know, I've not really. I grew up a Cowboys Cowboys fan, believe it or not. Have didn't we also? I would say the fifth one would be Tony Dorsett. Wow, nice. I'm old. I'm old. <laughs> no, no, that's a good list, man. Those, I mean, those are legends. You can't go wrong with having any of those. And just any of those guys. And, and focusing in on your number one, you know, with the Michael Jordan documentary that ESPN's about to release that we're all looking forward to. What is it, you know, as a basketball coach, you like to ask us, what is it 
that made him so special um, and, and so almost superhuman, right, as a basketball phenomenon that we haven't seen until recently with LeBron. And even with LeBron, like the consistency that Jordan maintained for such a long time of winning is almost unheard of. Yep. Yeah, I would say the ex- the most extreme level of uh, of combined uh, extreme level competitiveness, mm-hmm. like it just to a to a whole nother extreme, and then you combine that with um, elite athleticism and high level intelligence. I think I think you, that combination just made him into. Um, you know, arguably the the best, he and LeBron are the two two best players I've ever seen play. Yeah, yeah, that's that's kind of I think for the obviously how we grew up. We both grew up as huge Jordan fans, and we've obviously I don't want to say transitioned, but we've obviously also developed a similar, um, if not same respect for LeBron. I mean, it's we've had as basketball fans, we've had a really a really good run with with transcendent type of players, but. Uh, Coach, this is this has been amazing. Thank you so much for joining us on the Pilot Boys podcast. Hopefully, you know we get back to you know some normalcy soon. We can get back in the off season and get this thing going. But we will love to have you back, obviously too, as you know. Hopefully, the season progresses and uh, make sure you guys stay safe during the social distancing period. Yeah, you guys too. Thanks, thanks for uh, what you do in terms of entertaining a lot of us, and uh, it's always great seeing you guys uh, around. Feel free to. Would love to hop back on with you, and and uh, my sentiments are, are the same. You guys uh, stay well and stay healthy. You and your families do the same. All right. Take care, Thanks coach. so much, Coach. Have a good one. All right, guys. Take All care. Right, take you care. too. All right. Love the Pilot Boys podcast? Support us on Patreon. Supporters can pledge as little as $1. We have some cool perks on there. Check out www.patreon.com forward slash Pilot Boys podcast. Show us some love today. You're listening to the Pilot Boys podcast, episode 23. V, that was an amazing interview we just had with Chris Holtman. That was awesome. Yeah, I have a tremendous amount of respect for him, as I know you do too. Being the head basketball coach at Ohio State, it's one of the more difficult jobs, right? Especially with football mm-hmm. looming over, and the way he handles it is amazing, and, and the success we've had is amazing. Yeah, I mean, he handles the job with class, like I told him on the phone. I feel like he's been a somewhat of a seamless transition from a fit standpoint to Ohio State. It's probably what Gene Smith saw and why he was so persistent. So happy that we have him. And, um, you know, obviously, hopefully we can get back to, to normal pretty soon so we can start to see them in action. But uh, let's hit some news and notes, man. There's a, there's a lot of stuff going on, um, sports, music, pop culture. You know, even though, you know, the coronavirus has shut a lot of things down, but there's still, there's still a lot to talk about. One thing in particular, uh, I guess as it pertains to the coronavirus, is, you know, the big question of when are we going to get some type of semblance of sports back uh, and when you know when is the economy going to open up when is the business going to open up and then obviously for us more sports going to open up uh china uh, actually opened up their baseball professional baseball league in taiwan uh with no fans though and um they had cardboard cutouts and robots in the, in the stands to kind of imitate you know what fans would look like um there haven't really been any issues there, but on the on the flip side, also in China, their uh, Chinese Basketball Association, they have now postponed again, at least until July. They're actually slated to start back up April 15th, um, but then, you know, new concerns have kind of popped up, and they've been shut down since January 24th. So, it, you know, what are your thoughts kind of on, 
you know, where this thing is and, and when we do open back up, is this, you know, no fans thing? Is that going to be the new normal? Yeah, I, I guess overall, I'm just a little concerned with any of this happening. I understand why it's happening and we have to figure out how to get back to normal. But, you know, the, it's the, the seeming rush to try to get things back open and have sporting events with large public gatherings that shouldn't be our priority right now. But with that being said, completely understand the nature of business and how that works. And the, the Chinese thing with cardboard cutout fans, <laughs> that's a different level of thought right there. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Of, of putting it into putting into this thing. And uh, to be honest, I don't know what the answer is. I don't necessarily feel comfortable having the conversation, but I do understand, mm-hmm. especially as a sports fan that, I miss sports a lot and also the role sports play in kind of keeping people calm and enjoying something during times of crisis. I completely understand that to have that taken away too. I understand why we're trying to get back to it. I don't, what are your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, first of all, I think we always have to follow the medicine and science, right? The health experts, you know, they're obviously not perfect, right? You know, some of this is projection because you haven't seen, this before. So they're not going to necessarily get everything perfect, but I think, you know, following their lead uh, really at the end of the day, that's really the simplest and probably the easiest answer here is whatever they tell us to do is what we should do, you know, and obviously not just them, obviously you get to talk to economists and stuff like that and figure out how things affect other aspects of, of the world and the economy. But that is kind of my take on it. Um, you know, we talked about this a little bit before in one of our actually pilot boy shorts about whether opening up with no fans, can, if it's not safe for the fans, how is it safe for the players? I think it's not necessarily means that it's ultimately so safe for the players, but it's just that you could probably control a lot more when you're testing just individual players and you could do it daily and you could control that more than you can control a, a crowd of 100,000. But then you have like Florida governor um, who now deemed WWE an essential business in Florida. And so now they're allowed to uh, kind of get back to normal without fans. They're allowed to create the production without fans and you know there's a big uproar on social media about that but one of those things is, it's, and you just mentioned this is follow the money man you gotta follow eventually money is going to force people to do certain things you know yeah it what seems like florida's, go- florida's governor just seems to not be doing anything right in his response to this mm-hmm. this pandemic mm-hmm. come on wwe it's not just about letting something go on it's the signal and the, the the message that you're sending out like how in any world can wwe wrestling be deemed essential in any yeah. world right yeah you know and he didn't and, shut and, and down the beaches and that, and that's why you know that's why you know that there's money involved you know what i mean yeah. and, and and it's scary because you know the sad thing about how some of these people are making decisions is that they first of all the wrong decision here or a bad decision here can cost people their lives, right? So this isn't just like, oh, you know, the, the regular run-of-the-mill good decision or bad decision. This literally could, you know, determine life or death, number one. And then number two, you know, the wrong decision at this time could affect what happens to you in the future. You may not, okay, say you don't want to social distance now or you don't want to shut down beaches now or you want to deem certain businesses essential now. Then you might see a rise of this thing in August when a lot of other people are are coming out of it. And then now you have to put put in precautions then. So And the just, worst thing, that's the worst thing that could happen, right? Is for us mm-hmm. to open up too early 
and have to deal with another shutdown. And that's, those are consequences. Even when you're thinking about the money, you know, if you're smart and you're logical, you think about these things and factor it in and say, the short-term benefit does not outweigh the potential long-term cost here. It's, it's fairly common sense. We talk about this all the time. Let's make sure it's safe out here before mm-hmm. we start opening anything back up. Absolutely. And, you know, this, it's, you know, not obviously, you know, not to get too political, but it is one of those things that you think about and that maybe people will think about as they move forward, you know, who you actually, you know, elect and who you appoint and, you know, who you support, you know, they actually make decisions that can affect your day-to-day life. So it's an important thing to think about. Um, and, but, you know, all the things, again, we talk about this coronavirus and we, we also like to talk about positive things that happen as a result. One of those things is, Diddy, he, he raised money doing a dance-a-thon um, for healthcare, uh, $5 million he raised for healthcare workers. Uh, I think LeBron joined as well. Um, it was pretty interesting that uh, it was on IG Live and, you know, Jennifer Lopez joined, when A-Rod joined, that was kind of weird, kind of like didn't expect to see that. But, you know, a lot of people are actually trying to come together or trying to use their platform, as we talked about with Coach, Coach Holtman, to actually do something positive. Um, did you get a chance to see that or check that out at all? I heard about it. I didn't see it. I've been hearing about a lot of these IG things. You know, I'm not, my my time on IG is usually spent posting something real quick, scrolling real quick and, <laughs> and getting off. But yeah. I did hear about it through the news. And, you know, I think, you know, it's it's great to see people coming together, just like you said, to see Diddy and J-Lo together. It's like right. we all know about the separation and, and and the fact that what happened and then having A-Rod on there. It's like in times of crisis and pandemics, it's like you realize and value people, right? Um, yeah. I've found that in my with myself, just valuing the people in my life a lot more, talking to them more consistently. We've all been separated, but just also doing creating causes that raise money and being being creative and finding ways to entertain creatively, it's been amazing to see. Yeah, and speaking of that, you know, uh, DJ Premier and RZA had a kind of a, a battle, a beat battle um, the other day on, not just a beat battle, a song battle, basically, of uh, all the songs that they've produced over the years on IG Live. I mean, that was, I mean, we've been talking about these and there have been a lot of them, but that was one of the best ones. I mean, they had hit after hit after hit. It was amazing to to see that as well. And also, you know, in today's era with how production is done, if you, you know, in our, we know about DJ Premier and RZA and like what they actually do to create a beat and did to create some of these beats versus what you have to do now is completely different, right? Yeah, and And we were fortunate too. We got to hang out with RZA a lot at his studios in New York. Yep. A 36 chamber. So we got to see some of that stuff firsthand. It's a well. science. It's a science. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. And we were also, we were also on Ghostface video too, weren't we? I think it was, years ago. I think it was Jizza. Was Jizza. Oh, Jizza. Okay. Yeah. I was in the Ghostface video. Okay. Video, but we were also in Jizza video. So Fun yeah, times. Like, Wu-Tang forever. Wu-Tang forever. Uh, speaking of music, Drake, man, he's, he's, it doesn't matter if there's a shutdown. It doesn't matter what's going on. He is going to continue to make history as he did this week with uh, Two C Slide. Um, it's the seventh song that he's had debut number one on the Hot 100 charts. Uh, ties Mariah Carey for the most. What is it about Drake, man? That's just you know you talked about consistency earlier in a different context, but you're talking about just over over a decade of just hit after hit after hit. What is it, man? 
I mean, I'm going to start by saying to not to discredit rapping, but Drake is not a rapper. He is an artist. And in this generation, he is the best and greatest artist that they have. Um, and I think it's interesting when you when you understand and you follow Drake, we all hear about him all the time, kind of the things that make him awkward as a person, right? Because we never feel like he's real, that he's inauthentic, or all these things kind of factor into the reason that he's able to make such a diverse range of music that is just so damn good. He can mm-hmm. rap his ass off. He's not the greatest singer, but he can sing. Mm-hmm. Um, but more than anything, he knows how to construct and compose great music and market that music. So here's the thing, and uh, you hit the nail on the head. If you actually study Drake, you realize two things that are very, very important and make him different than a lot of artists. One, he studies music inside and out. Every genre of music, he studies it. He knows it inside and out. Number two, actually, there are three things. Number two, he has his ear to the streets, literally. In every city, in every country, it seems like, of what is hot? Who is hot? What are the sounds that are hot? What are the instruments that are hot? Who are the DJs that are hot? He knows when to, he knows how to find waves. He knows how to collaborate with artists that people may not have heard of yet, but that he thinks they're dope. And then the third thing, which is not necessarily to discredit him, but I think it's also important when you're painting the complete picture of Drake, is that he's actually a very, very good actor, yes. right? And the reason why that's important is because he can transform himself into different characters, yep. literally. And we've seen him do it um, as an artist. You know, not every song. That's why you can go 12 years and have all these number one hits because a lot of the songs don't sound the same. Um, and he's figured out a way to kind of transform himself throughout this period of time. There's some people that don't like him, but no matter if whether you like him or not, you have to re- uh, respect this level of consistency. If you don't respect him, you're a complete hater. Yeah. And, you know, there are a lot of haters out there who probably don't care. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. is what it is. But speaking of kind of the, I don't know if we call it the anti-Drake, but you got Takashi 6 9 oh who God. now out of jail. Uh, I think he was able to kind of, he was supposed to be released, I believe, in August, and he was able to convince a judge that coronavirus concerns um, were serious and that they let him out of jail. He's already out back trolling, posted his new Instagram picture of him like, as you a know, rat, on, a, on right? a mouse trap, yeah, with cheese. And, um, you know, what are your thoughts on just on that whole Takashi thing? I mean, we talked a little bit about social media with Coach Holtman earlier, but what it has done, social media has done, has created a brand under the name Trolling, right? Mm-hmm. It is everywhere you hear. I feel like I hear that word all the time, and it's become popular, right? It's mm-hmm. okay to do it, and I think... Takashi, you love him or hate him, he has mastered this craft. People thought, how is he going to rebrand himself? He's already coming out and creating a joke out of snitching, right? Right. And he's generating attention for himself. So, you know, I don't admire it, but at the end of the day, he is very talented in the, within this this culture and this industry of trauma. And I think there are going to be a lot of people that are going to forget and not really care about what happened and what he went through. They're not, you know, there are a lot of people who listen to music that aren't deep into that street culture and code and they, they just want to be entertained. So they don't care about that shit. And eventually I think he's going to, he's going to bounce back. I mean, obviously he's in danger just given what we know about kind of that life, but he is going to bounce back and people do care about what he has to say. Like you said, people want to be entertained. So he yeah. is going to be someone that we're going to have to deal with couple funny things um 
or at least interesting things. One is the um, the NCAA tournament. There's a chicken surplus <laughs> that happened as a result of the NCAA tournament not not happening. <laughs> uh, my first thoughts were, "Yo, where are you guys sending that to? Send me some, you know, because you know me." Um, but what were your thoughts on that? It looked kind of funny. It is funny, right? It's like uh, I read into it and it said like last year, right before March Madness, um, they sold 1.25 million pounds of chicken wings. And wow. last year they sold um, only 444,000 pounds. Mm. And what I found interesting and kind of scary too is what they're doing to adjust for this. They said that um, the wing producers have um, shut down po- processing and packaging plants. Um, they've actually limited the number of eggs that can hatch. Um, oh, wow. And And they're reducing the amount of food they're feeding these chickens so that they don't grow as quickly. Those are kind of some of the, the disturbing. It's crazy. So it's crazy to see how many different, yeah, it's crazy to see how many different things and industries and processes are actually adjusted by this thing. Right. So there's obviously the big stuff that we hear about. There's a lot of stuff behind the scenes that, that we don't hear about. And, you know, there's another interesting phenomenon that's happened. Obviously is the toilet paper phenomenon that we've been hearing about, you know, even me personally, I've dealt with it. I've gone to many stores several times looking for toilet paper. I wasn't able to find it. You know, at first glance, it was, uh, you know, just like everybody's crazy. But then there's been, you know, some talk and some, a new article that's saying, hey, hold up a second. Maybe this isn't as crazy as we think. Maybe there's actually a, a real justifiable reason to it. Uh, what, what were your thoughts on, on that article? I mean, I definitely think it's a combination of factors, people. We are seeing in real time. You and I have seen it when we go to the store people filling their carts with toilet paper, right? That's mm-hmm. that's a part of the issue, and that's just human psychology. But the other part of this is in just understanding how everything works, right? We always talk about how do things work. Mm-hmm. And the truth is there's a whole supply chain behind toilet paper and all of these goods, right? There's It's fascinating. I would have never learned this if this hadn't happened, but basically it's brought, broken down into two separate categories, which is toilet paper for commercial use and toilet paper that we see that come in those, those packages of Charmin that we buy at the store. And they're two completely separate supply chains, the delivery method suppliers, Mm. everything is completely different. And what's happened with the coronavirus is that people aren't going to work anymore. So if people were spending their time on the throne at, at work, getting a 15 minute break, now we're spending that time at home. So naturally mm-hmm. the amount of toilet paper consumption on the retail end, which is the toilet paper you buy in stores is increasing. I think the estimates are that there's been a 40% increase, right? And at mm. the same time, they're like, oh yeah, you should just be able to deliver the commercial toilet paper, but the delivery mechanism is completely different. They're deli- that's, a, that's, that's they're, very interesting. Yeah. They're delivered on pallets. Versus packages. And so some of this is obviously pandemonium and panic, but some of this is just naturally how how the business works, how the business works and how supply chains work and how they get disrupted, just like everything else in pandemics. Right. Like and they're saying now that the new phenomenon is hair products, um, hair dye, uh, clippers and things that, you know, can, can, you know, for guys, what they used to do their hair. Those are the new, that's the new toilet paper that people are, are, are hoarding. Um, wow. but you know, I'm sure a lot of things will, will happen like that <laughs> yeah. the longer this thing goes on, but let's move back a little bit to sports. There are a couple of interesting, um, interesting things coming up. Uh, Stefan Marbury, for example, has a new documentary. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? 
Well, I read a book called Sacred Hoops um, when I was when I was younger about Stefan Marbury, and literally he was in New York City, kind of like the next Jesus of basketball to them. Jesus, he was the real Jesus Shuttlesworth, right? Right. And when he came into the league, him and Kevin Garnett formed a dynamic duo. But his NBA career, once he came to New York, didn't go as well as planned, but. His story is amazing because he found a second life and has kind of been the American basketball trailblazer in China. What he did um, in that market and the brand he created for himself um, and also his business acumen in terms of the shoes he produced and his social causes. He's just an amazing, amazing story. And I think the documentary is well, well worth watching. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I just I love Stefan Marbury. Um, in general, just kind of who he's been. And, you know, even as he put out shoes, you know, for kids that, you know, couldn't afford them, right? He didn't, he went the Starberry route. It was like $14 or, you know, instead of selling shoes for $150 or $200. I and mean, he just lot of, done a lot of great things. So obviously I'd, I'd be interested in seeing that. And um, I think, it, you know, obviously the Jordan one is coming up too, which is exciting. But, um, you know, give us content, man. There's some, a lot of good stories out there. Now's yep. a good time to give us some content. Um, what other Ohio State football? Uh, somebody released a, a graphic essentially showing, you know, the winningest programs um, by percentage since 1970. And Ohio State was atop that list, number one. Um, Michigan wasn't in the top five. I think they were number six. Penn State was in the top. Alabama was in the top. But Ohio State was number one. And when you think about it, obviously, you know, Ohio State fans are going to promote it and, you know, we're, you know, we're going to talk shit. But when you think about it deeper, you just what, you, what it makes you realize is just the level of consistency that Ohio State has had in winning. You know, I mean, I, we had one, you know, we've had a couple of down years. One was my freshman year in 1999, one of our worst years when we went six and six, you know, and we had to even decide whether we wanted to go to a bowl game. You know, we didn't. You know, it was like. um but other than that, I mean, we've had 10-win, 11-win, double-digit win seasons for, I mean, so many of those years over so many different coaches. I mean, the, the amount of consistency that Ohio State has has been unbelievable in football. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, for anyone who, who questions why we are the Ohio State University, that that figure should give you your answer. But, you know, being getting a little bit more serious about it, it's like it also gives you an appreciation for – just what winning means, right? At Ohio State, mm-hmm. we put so much emphasis on national championships every year. But mm-hmm. the truth is nobody wins a national championship every year. If you win one every decade, you're a lucky program. But what mm-hmm. you should measure things by are the consistency, right? The ignoring bad bad years. Like if you look at that team up north and what they're going through, could you imagine even when we were losing to them during that Cooper era we were still winning most of our games and competing exactly. for national championships. Yep. You know, we just should appreciate what this program does and, and whatever it is is in the water here and in the program heads like Gene Smith and the coaching coaches that we've had, the blessing that we've, we've had to maintain the consistency that we have. Absolutely. And, you know, we talk, you know, sometimes we get frustrated at different years and, you know, the 2015 year comes to mind and, you know, we feel like we had the best talent in the country and we should have won. And it'll probably be true. But, you know, you have to do do take a step back. And like Oldman was saying earlier, and, and put things in perspective, man, because you could also, you could, you know, you could have 
God forbid, growing up in a different city and different state with different parents, and, you know, been a fan of, you know, some other school that doesn't ever have any expectations. That's probably not nearly as interesting of a life. So, you know, shout out to Ohio State. You know, obviously, you know, we're going to be critical when necessary. But for the most part, you know, we're very positive and bullish on Ohio State. And we're going to, you know, show love when it's appropriate. And having the highest winning percentage over the last 50 years, I think, is, is, a, is a really big deal. And maybe you understand makes people understand why we talk about them so much. And also uh, why so many people dislike Ohio State fans, right? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah, but we'll take it. We got to take the good with the bad. Yeah. Um, speaking of the bad, uh, Kyle Larson, a uh, race car driver, was suspended indefinitely from Chip the, uh, Ganassi Racing and from NASCAR um, because during a virtual race that he was doing, he um, said the N-word. And, you know, it's, first of all, it's just, crazy that this happened right it's like you have an opportunity to do something virtual which you know a lot of people don't right now and to continue growing your brand and you do this type of thing and you know obviously he didn't i don't know if he realized uh that he was being heard but the way it came out was seemed very natural it wasn't the one of the you know so it seemed like it's not something that he just said for the first time uh and now he's suspended and you know during coronavirus and you're losing all your endorsements and, and money and what are your thoughts on it, man? I don't feel sorry for him at all. And what bothered me more was seeing his fake bullshit apology, right? It's mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. sometimes I, I just own who you are. You know, yep. we've we've both had experiences like this. You know, I grew up part of my life in a very small rural town. This mentality in that world just flows off of off of people's tongues in those communities, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And and his fake bullshit apology of this isn't how I was raised. I can't believe I said it. No, yeah. you're mad because you're paying a price for yep. it. And, yep. and don't give us that bullshit apology. Just eat your medicine and move on. Don't, don't, yeah. don't come out and give us that bullshit. Yeah. The apology was bullshit. The way he said it, this, if you heard it, it just, it came off very smoothly. It was not sound like something that he's never said before. And if that's how you feel, like you said, if that's how you feel, and that's how you feel about people or whatever, then be own that. There are people out here who are owning it and they're making a living off of doing so. And, you know, if that's who you are, be that. But don't try to convince us that that's not who you are or whatever. So I'm glad he, you know, I'm glad that, you know, that they acted quickly um, and didn't, you know, sometimes they don't act quickly here or they do some fake thing like he's suspended for two weeks without leave or some bullshit. But they acted quickly. And I think, you know, that's a good thing. It, send, it sends a message. Um, that you know, it's not that that shit is not going to be tolerated. Um, speaking of kind of just you know pop culture stuff, Ozark, right? I haven't seen season three, so please don't tell me anything about it. But you guys got me to watch it. I've finished season one. I'm now on to season two. I'm very glad that I started it. It starts off a little slow for you know, so you know people got to kind of stick it out. Um, but that show was amazing, man. What what? I mean, I guess without trying to spoil. <laughs> season three if you've seen already what are your what are your thoughts on it well i think it's it's just an amazingly well written show right the acting is great and when you see quality content um you can deal with some of those lapses and and slowdowns because you still appreciate the development of the story right and mm-hmm. i think the thing about ozark that's that's unique is is just showing like all a, a unique side of this, right? Like how money laundering actually works, you know, Mm -hmm. and not saying we all should be. And what it takes and what it takes and how many different people it takes 
for it to actually work. Yeah, and the risk then. Yeah. Why the stakes are so high. And mm-hmm. and there's just so many different things about the dangers of a life of crime that it shows mm-hmm. um, without glorifying any of it. Right. 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 Um, and I thought, right. I think that that's, that's just a powerful piece of that show and why it's so valuable. For sure. And one other thing, um, politics, uh, Bernie Sanders dropped out of the race and has now endorsed Biden. So now it's going to be Biden versus Trump. Obama came out this week and endorsed Biden. So now it's Biden versus Trump 2020. That is, what we're looking forward to in November. This is um, this is the most important election of our lifetimes for a variety it's a big, of reasons. It's a big one. It's um, a big one. So without going into um, it, everyone go out and vote, right? Yeah, everybody, everybody, definitely go out and vote. And then a uh, couple, you know, condolences as we close out news and notes. Um, Tavares Jackson, former NFL quarterback and Super Bowl champion, actually passed away. Uh, earlier this week uh, in a car accident, which is so sad. I Young you. guy, um, car accidents just, every time I hear that, it just, it's so scary to me because it's just, you know, as much as we drive, not as much now during the coronavirus, but, you know, those are the type of things that can just happen to anyone. just reminds you much of your mortality. So condolences to, to his family, of course. And um, one other condolences is uh, Carl Anthony Towns' mom. She actually died of coronavirus complications this week. She'd been battling it for a month. He actually announced it on social media, I think, a while ago um, when she contracted it, had everybody praying for him, but she did not make it. Um, oh, wow. Very, very, very sad. So um, She was relatively you know, young, too. Yeah, she was. So condolences to him and his family. And, you know, and, you know, one, I guess, last kind of wrap-up point on, on the coronavirus is, you know, we always try to, you know, say something encouraging about it, right? Because this is a very tough time period. But as this thing continues to go on, there are more and more people who are getting closer and closer to us who are either have it, have it. We have, you and I have a very, very close friend that actually has it. Um, and more people who are, you know, dying from it. You know, my, my, you know, everyone I know now, it seems like at least know someone or at least know someone who knows someone who's passed away from it. So it's very, very sad. We have to make sure that we continue to uplift each other where we can, um, you know, encourage each other where we can, check in on each other where we can. You know, if you have opportunity to give a helping hand or you have an extra dollar or two that can support something, definitely, definitely do that. Um, but there is optimism and there's optimism coming out of many sections of of the of the country that, you know, we are at least moving aggressively toward uh, um, trying to get back to not necessarily exactly how things were, but closer to that at some point in the near future. So let's just keep praying for that and um, keep following you know. those guidelines too. do not relax. That's right. And that's very important. If you if we relax, then we could end up back where we were. So um, just keep doing what we're doing. But that is all we have for news and notes. You're listening to the Pilot Boys podcast, episode 23. Shout out to Premier Podcast for helping us get set up during this pandemic. We were panicking when this first happened. We didn't know how we were going to record, but Premier Podcast came through for us. Be sure to check them out for all your podcast needs on social media at Premier Podcast. Check them out on Twitter and Instagram. That's all we have for today's show. Big thanks to our guest, Chris Holtman. Thanks to everybody for listening. Don't forget, sharing is caring. Subscribe to the Pilot Boys Podcast on Apple, Spotify, Patreon, and YouTube. And please follow us on social media at Pilot Boys Pod on Twitter and at Pilot Boys Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And follow the host on Twitter. I am at Mechadon Music and V is at This one. And don't forget to grab some Pilot Boys wristbands, free shipping, 
Plus, we're going to throw in some extras. Shop.pilotboys.com. Always remember, be you. You is fly. Pilot Boys out! Pilot Boys, we get on up!